because you're jumping back into the gap. Oh, let's hey, go. Coach. Welcome to the Basketball Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Oliver. I appreciate you joining us for this week's podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit basketballimmersion.com for more coaching resources and access to all the basketball podcasts. I hope you will give us a shout out on social media, on Twitter at Bball Immersion, or on Instagram at Basketball Immersion to help me continue to share the game. Enjoy the episode. Excited to welcome Florida Atlantic head coach Dusty May to the Basketball Podcast. Dusty May led Florida Atlantic to its greatest season in school history in 2022-23. May guided his team to the Final Four while posting a program best 35-4 record. Prior to this season, the Owls had one previous appearance in the NCAA tournament, but this year, May led the Owls to not just their first win in the NCAA tournament, but all the way to the Final Four. Dusty's resume is well-decorated as he was named CBS Sports National Coach of the Year as well as the NABC All-District 17 Coach of the Year and Conference USA Coach of the Year this season. May is the Owls' all-time leader in coaching wins with a record of 101-60 and despite having only been on the Florida Atlantic sidelines for five seasons. Florida Atlantic has not had a losing season in the five years Dusty has been on the sidelines. Florida Atlantic also captured the Conference USA Tournament and regular season championships both for the first time in school history. Dusty, welcome back to the podcast. It's great to be on. It's been a while since uh, the first time we were on. Can you believe that? Episode two. Well, thank you for doing that. I, I'll, I'll credit you and uh, Dave Paulson with kicking off the podcast. And and uh, now this is where we are. But wait a bit. What about where you are? Um, I text coaches sometimes, uh, you know, opponents, coach, uh, opposing coaches in your league or coaches I know to kind of get some my feel or ideas for what I should ask coaches sometimes. And the one coach just te- texted back and just said, just ask him for his autograph. How surreal is that? Yeah, he must he must be a heck of a guy because I don't know about that. But yeah, it, it's definitely surreal. Uh, no doubt. And, uh, you know, so many things to obviously talk about. I have tons of questions, but, um, you know, l- let's start with this and just say, OK, so what has changed since the final four for you? The demands on our time every night, uh, we have something, uh, dinners, fundraisers uh, for uh, numerous different people. But, you know, we've been fighting for this attention for, for five years and, and we wanted to be at this table and we, we, we wanted to do media and we wanted to give interviews and we wanted to do <laughs> articles, anything we could do to generate buzz around our program. And so now that it's here, we can't complain that everything is is coming to fruition and we have to take advantage of it while we're hot now. And if we want to continue to build and grow. And so that's where we are right now. But it is it's it's overwhelming because we we're coming off of a long, long season and there's no time to take a a breath. Uh, It's it's on to the next thing. So we haven't had a chance to really enjoy it, but uh, we're definitely enjoying the momentum we created. The one thing you mentioned is this temptation part of this first temptation part of this is obviously with all this attention now it creates new opportunities not just for you but for your players and then for your program one of the opportunities was potentially obviously you leaving for another job and you were pretty adamant early on to me at least that you had no interest in going but a lot of that had to do with Florida Atlantic stepped up and I think that's a win for coaches in general that a place where you built something stepped up to keep you there that's pretty cool isn't it Absolutely. And and there's some places that it's not possible that just there's not much of an upside. Fortunately for us, our area, our community, our university's commitment to athletics, they're all aligned. So, yes, it, it, the, the best case scenario happened where we can continue building, being around the people we love being with every single day, while also being taken care of 
uh, much more than we were in the past. So we're appreciative to, uh, of all those things. And then you mentioned the battling the temptation to recruit higher profile players, because I'm sure a lot of attention has come your way, not just from, you know, obviously media coaches, et cetera, but from opponent players or recruits that want to come there. Well, with, with with our staff, we we've said this for several years. When you recruit in January, when you're in the heat of the conference battle, you're recruiting toughness and intelligence and consistency and skill level. And then as soon as the season's over, we go out in April and we're recruiting vertical leap, uh, arm length, hand size, uh, upside potential, all of those things. So we we we're gonna make a conscious effort to go on the road and recruit like it's January 15th or February 3rd or whatever the case just to remind us of what makes us happy as coaches during the year. And it's guys eager to learn. It's guys that love to work, that enjoy the game, but also uh, the relationship piece and and fit us. So uh, we're going to be very, very intentional not to stray from what made us us. And hopefully that that will allow us to have continued success. We don't always talk about recruiting on the podcast because not everyone that listens is obviously in the recruiting world. But I think we're all fascinated by this. And especially from your perspective now, Talk to us a little bit about the portal, uh, the potential pitfalls, the potential strengths of it, especially given the situation and the meteoric rise for so many of your players. Well, for us, we love the high school players because the the time, the growth, the development, uh, the continuity, we feel like our continuity is probably our biggest strength this year outside of our talent. And so we went to the portal a few times, but it's been plug and play where if we think that you're going to have a real impact on our program. We're very confident because it's not your first stop. Then we'll recruit you in a situation where you're needed. Uh, Otherwise, if it's something where we're not sure, we'll go the high school route because we know that soon, as long as you get better, then we'll be able to to put, you know, you'll be a a major part of of, of the team and playing time and things like that. So, but, you know, there's so many guys in it now. It's so watered down. We're at, this year, we're probably in the portal less than I would think anyone else in the country. I didn't even look at the portal until today, to be honest. And I was just I was just gazing through to see some of the guys we've recruited in the past during the portal or what numbers they did. So I used it more as just information today. But, yeah, I, I haven't logged in this year because on paper, all of our team is back. And uh, up to this point, no one on our roster wanted to go into the portal. So we've been recruiting high school juniors and sophomores. Okay, so talk to us about re-recruiting your players or keeping your players. Is, is that been a challenge or is that a conversation? And generally, what everyone with this success wants to stay or talk to us about that. We've just been very direct uh, throughout the entire process that everyone in our program is going to have different options, some better options than others. And it's all part of it. And we And we have to make the decision. First of all, we all have to know what we want and what our values are. And if you know what your values are, then you know what you want and you know whether to go or to stay. And we've had guys leave and we still talk to them. We still watch their games. We still text with them. We still talk to their parents. It's not life or death. Sometimes a change is good for players. And sometimes just people want something new or different. Well, we're in a very unique situation where our guys, we we feel like had a blast going through this process, but also we're moving up into leagues. Um, we do feel like that we didn't max out because we didn't play our best in our last game. So there's still a lot. And then uh, and this is a place that it's never been done. So we're building, we're growing, and we're seeing uh, the fruits of our labor here. So there's a lot of re- a lot of built-in advantages for us all to stay here. Uh, but still, a lot of times that's not enough. Fortunately, our guys are extremely loyal to each other. We feel like they get along as well as any group we've ever been around. And then the relationship piece with the staff and players being completely connected in a collaboration, uh, we believe certainly helps us. Now, everything could change tomorrow. People feel one way today 
and differently the next day. So we're not naive to that. But as of now, it looks like we're going to be able to run everything back and add a couple pieces. We're all cheering for that. We're cheering for that for college basketball and for you. And uh, a quick story. I was uh, fortunate to sit uh, behind a Division One bench once at the invite of a head coach, pre-portal. Uh, and a player on their team, this was a low major playing a high major, a player on the low major team had a really impressive, was having a great year, but had a ridiculous game. And the coach turned to me just at the end of the game and said, watch this. And I was watching the player in the handshake line and the opposing head coach talked to him for must have been like, should stop the whole line. It must have been about three minutes. And I asked the coach afterwards, he says, yeah, he was recruiting him. And uh, at least us think this doesn't happen. This happened throughout the tournament to your players. Well, our players were telling us what others were saying that they could receive from other places. Now, I would never accuse other other places. They may not even know. And I've been on the other side of that where people had accused us of tampering or poaching whenever middlemen had reached out to us and asked us if we were interested. We respond, not unless they're in the portal. We can't have a conversation. And then, you know, that their side of it, the 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 players, coaches feel like we're messing with them. But in reality, it was someone on in between trying to connect. And there are middlemen that are involved trying to connect program our players to programs. And there's also middlemen that aren't involved trying to connect and get involved. So there's a lot of layers to it. When I said that during the tournament, I said, I'm not complaining. I'm not moaning. Every team in the country has some variation of this going on, whether it's the higher levels, having lower levels reach out to players at the bottom of their roster, curious if they want more playing time or whatever the case. So it's not anything new. It's just a little bit different and it's more immediate now. Our job here at FAU is to provide the absolute best environment for our players short and long term. And if they don't feel like th this is it, then we'll help them go someplace else and we'll cheer like crazy while also having the cell phone in the other hand making recruiting calls. So it's part of the business. Uh, and, and like I said, I, I wasn't saying it complaining, but our players had told me what other schools and what middlemen had reached out saying, you can get this, you can get this. And so uh, some of it may be true. Some of it may be, uh, you know. Well, as you mentioned, that's similar to the media expectations, all these different things that happen because you win. I mean, you want to win and you want to have that level of success. So they're just things that kind of come with that experience as a part of it. But I think coaches are curious about that. And then the other part of temptation I wanted to ask you about is temptation throughout the tournament to be satisfied. Because again, the levels of the, the levels of, I guess, praise and levels of success just bring all this attention throughout this tournament that a lot of these players and certainly you and your program haven't had before. Yeah, once we got past Memphis in the first round and, and we thought they were terribly underseated, we thought they were really, really good. So we knew how hard, how difficult it would be. And then we we obviously were looking ahead to the second round. You start scouting and preparing uh, when the assistance does anyway. And you see Purdue and you're thinking, you know what, we, we match up pretty well with Purdue. We've got a 7-1 center and then we've got a lot of speed and quickness on the perimeter. So we felt like we matched up well if we could get by Memphis. And then we see FDU and all of a sudden it's like, wait a minute, we could be 10 to 15 point favorites to go to the Sweet 16. Is this really happening? And, you know, we could see how Memphis maybe took us a little bit lightly because I, I don't think our guys had the same edge that they did against Memphis or Tennessee or Kansas State against FD, FDU. So uh, it, it was a, a different experience going from an underdog who had, you know, we, we started making a name for ourselves during the season when we got ranked, but going from that to the favorite against FDU and then ultimately the villain in that game uh, because of the, the last second of it, 
And then, uh, so th then we're going to New York City. And obviously, it's a whole new game when you're going to the Sweet 16 and you have a full week of everyone talking about you in the media and your family and everyone jumping on board. And we decided to go straight from Columbus, Ohio to New York and bypass Boca Raton uh, for that reason. So we sent our families, band, administration, everyone went back on the NCAA plane to Boca and, and the team and staff, a small travel party went straight to New York to kind of take a, to take one day to, to really enjoy New York and then to jump back in the, the, the preparation piece. So uh, we tried to avoid as much as we could. And then obviously after we advance and then you're at another full week before the final four, it's, it's a different level. So uh, we were just taking it basically day by day. It was all uncharted waters. For, for the curious people that don't really know, talk to us a little bit about how players handle the academic part of this as well, because uh, certainly the basketball part sounds easy, just stay on the road. But the reality is you're taking them out of their comfort zone academically as well. Unfortunately, if our guys are in four or five classes, probably two or three are online now since COVID. That's pretty standard. And obviously, when you're representing a university under that magnitude, your professors are simply telling you, hey, do what you can, but you're going to be able to make it up when you get back because they understand what this is doing for everyone. And and I and all the feedback I've received from our professors and our, and our players regarding the academics, that's basically what they heard. When we got back, they said, we've got a lot of work to do. We weren't able to stay up on it, but our professors did give us ex extensions on our papers and they did uh, tell us that we could make up the quizzes when we got back and things like that. So they were able to focus on basketball. And then one of the weeks was spring break. So that that timed up nicely. But uh, it's a challenge for those guys to do what they're doing while also uh, at least staying staying somewhat caught up academically because, the, the you know, you're, you're going week to week and, and there's really no time. You mentioned staying on the road to be able to handle distractions. What were maybe some other things that you did to be able to help your players uh, manage and handle these distractions? Well, we just tried to anticipate what they were going to be and get out ahead of them early. And then even with, with the amount of family and friends coming to these games and tournaments and, and following the team around and staying at our hotel, it's just prioritizing what's important. And fortunately for us, our guys are, are so uh, locked in that they when we stepped on foot at practice or we we're in the film room, their focus and, and, and attention to detail only grew. And so we weren't near as concerned with them being distracted off the floor just because of, of how much they enjoy the preparation and, and how much they still wanted to compete. And they didn't seem content at all. Um, and then once we made the sweet, sweet 16, we won the first game. And then the message was, because in our profession, you know, you make it to the sweet 16 or you make it to the lead eight, each level is such a pinnacle that you can get pretty content. And so our message was until we cut down the nets, we're still going. We're not, we don't feel great that we're making the final four. We still have two more games to win if we want to max out as, as a team and program. So that was kind of our message all along. Um, with a few games left in the season, we started addressing how much pressure was on every game. We said, we, our guys can't handle the pressure now. We're probably not going to be able to handle it in the conference tournament, NCAA tournament anyway. And so we started talking about the magnitude of every game with about maybe three or four weeks left in the regular season. We had talked about the day-by-day, minute-by-minute, frame-by-frame process, and, and we shifted um, after we lost to Middle Tennessee State to our guys, hey, we can we, we that's probably the last game we can lose and still get an at-large. If we can't handle the pressure, we can't handle the pressure, but we're being real where we are. We've got to stay focused, and, and we're not afraid to fail. We'll figure it out if we don't. But the, the, this is the truth. This is reality. And our, and our guys, they didn't bat an eye. They didn't play tight. They still played to win and loose as, as ever. So it's a testament to how much they enjoy competing, but they're also not scared of the moment or weren't scared of the moment.
Well, I think that's great advice. And, and certainly with, with foreseeing what's going to come potentially to be able to prepare them in that way. I, I think that's great. And they're going to know about it anyways. They know the expectations. There's just too much media, too much information out there. And you mentioned the humbled mind, humble mindset. So maintaining that humble mindset, do you, even though you're not underdogs because of the great season you had going in, do you portray your team as underdogs to them a little bit so they have a little bit more hunger? No, not really. Our guys, they they find different things to, to keep on edge. Or if a coach says this, and he may not even mean it as a slight, they rally around it. Uh, for example, an opposing coach our league said when he was describing us before the game, and there may or may not have been assist from the coaching staff helping facilitate this, but he said something along the lines, you know, they shoot threes, they're pretty loose, you know, they're down there on the beach in Boca, they're kind of like just some beach boys. <laughs> and 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 we we relayed that message to our players, and they took it as they're implying that we're just soft, we're just out here shooting threes and flying up and down the court. So they had that we adopted the mantra that we're beach boys on offense, we're playing loose, we're letting it fly, but on defense, we're going to be some some pit bulls and rottweilers, is what they said. So. It was almost like there were two completely different games going on, but our guys used those things that weren't even probably necessarily slights and took them as as that and rallied around it just as extra motivation. But, um, you know, that, that wasn't why we won. It wouldn't have been why we lost. But I do think that gives them something to rally around at times. And that's a big part of it is, is like all the extra attention individual players were getting. Uh, you mentioned middlemen, but it's also, you said family, you know, obviously friends, everything else as well. So how do you keep them motivated towards this common purpose that you've had all season throughout that kind of that most attentive phase of the season? be honest, Chris, we, we had a 20 game winning streak. And after we won five or six, that was that was new to us. That that level of six, eight and one was new to us. Ten and one was new to us. And so I really took a step back and was just watching our guys, how they acted in the airports, how they were acting around campus. And nothing changed. When we got between the lines, it was almost as if everything was out the window and we're out here hooping and competing and going at each other. And then as soon as practice was over, the guys would be shooting or sitting on the side talking and cutting up or whatever they were doing. Nothing ever changed. And it taught me that if you have guys that love to compete and they love the game, then you don't have to spin it and and over talk about those things because we knew once we set foot on the floor, that our guys were going to compete. And, and our message was that if, if we're going down, it's because they beat us. And we're, as long as we don't beat ourselves, we'll be fine. But our guys, our depth also, we had played nine guys. So if one or two had a bad game, then they simply didn't play as much that game. And they weren't quite as involved. And they embraced that because, you know, I, I learned this working for Henry Bibby. One of our players had a bad night and, and we kept riding him. And he said, you know what? It's like baseball. Some nights you don't have your best stuff. Some nights you're, you're breaking balls, just not breaking. And he said, when your breaking ball is not breaking, you got to let me know and we'll mix some other guys in the rotation and figure some things out as opposed to you trying to basically be a hero and fight through it and figure it out when we've got some other guys that can that can help. And that was that was kind of our mindset where, you know, one night you may get 18 in the next game because of a matchup or another hot hand. You may not score four points and, and you may play half as much as you did two days prior. So our guys embraced that. They supported each other. And I think that. Uh, that'll leave some of the pressure where they didn't have to be their best every single night. It just strikes me hearing you talk about all this, how, you know, we don't have to BS players. We we can be honest. We can just be straightforward. And ultimately that's the most important part of this process for them is that they just know that you're going to be consistent the way you've been all year. 
Yeah, and, and even we talked a lot about as long as we defend at a high level and we rebound the way we re- rebound, then we're going to be in every single game. And and because we're going to be in it, there's not going to be pressure because we have so many talented scores. We're going to find a way to score enough points. And the nights the threes are going in, we're going to we're going to win by a wide margin. And the nights they're not, we're going to grind it out and still find a way. So those are the things we talked about all year. It wasn't as if we needed to do anything special. Let's just not beat ourselves, defend, rebound. And on majority of the nights, we're going to be making enough shots to have a little bit of separation. So let's talk about defense. We want to get into some technical, tactical a little bit. And then, you know, I guess defensively, I mean, one thing that I think has been consistent for you is that you just want to stay at a rotation as much as possible defensively. Can you talk about that and then whether there was any evolution of that throughout the tournament? Well, there's an evolution in, in our program this year. We we wanted to get a little bit bigger at the, at the four spot because our our starting power forward and our backup power forward this year were six foot three, and they're not freakish athletes. They're good athletes, but they're not freakish athletes. And so going into the season, we were terribly concerned that on certain nights we just weren't going to be able to match up with fours switching one through four. And our starting point guard's about five eleven. Our starting two guards about six two, and you know he's not big strong athlete. So we thought certain nights we just simply wouldn't be able to overcome the matchup problem for men that we were going to see in our league. Well, our guys and and, and we didn't want it and we wanted to do what we do, which was switching and getting underneath the ball and then being active in the gaps with raking balls out and forcing some turnovers that way. But we just got really, really good at guarding the ball one on one. And we added some different drills that we did every single day this year. And, and we and we did it every single day religiously. It's probably the only thing we do every single day is guard the ball one on one. And because of that, we we were always able to just keep bodies on bodies. We were never, you know, a lot of times when you're off too far in help or you have to overhelp, if if the guy gets a shot up, then then there's going to be an offensive rebounder with a clean path with an angle to the basket. And his eyes are already on the ball. He's just got so many advantages where if we could simply keep the ball in front and we could keep our bodies basically between the guy we're guarding and, and, the, and the rim, even off the ball, then we'd have a great chance of getting early hits. And then we just have to use our speed and quickness to chase down rebounds. So it ended up working out much better than we anticipated. That was our concern. And, and fortunately, because we got so good at guarding the ball, we weren't off balance. The other attention you get, I, I've heard this from other coaches as you go through tournaments, you have this type of success is that coaches reach out to you asking for information. I'm curious, what were coaches asking you about most? Mainly how we organize our movement offensively. Mm. Uh, that was the thing because we we felt like we got a lot of movement. We had a lot of cutting, but we also had off-ball screening. And it, it's all just created and, and and borrowed and researched based on what each one of our players do really well. And that was a starting point. Let's take what our best players do well offensively and let's work down our roster. But let's begin and with that in mind, what do our best players do? How can we put them in position? And if they're successful, then they're going to generate attention. And then they just have to get off the ball once they they force two or whatever the case. So our, I applaud our guys. We had some really good scores that never, they rarely took bad shots. If there's a second guy in the gap, they passed it automatically, but mostly our movement off the ball. And it, it just, it, we continue to evolve into what we, what's best for us. So we've given simple cues where on this, we do this. On this, we do that. But if we don't, that's fine as well, because that makes us a little more versatile and, and less predictable with what we do. So that's kind of been our mindset that even if you forget a play, we don't care. Just make sure you don't freeze, don't chase the ball, just respace, and we'll figure it out. Because most of the time, once a team defends a play well anyway, now you're going to have some type of space or advantage on the court. And we just got to find it. Well, I, I know this about you a little bit through our conversations, but obviously the value of space and the value of attacking space. But also the value of giving your players individual freedom 
to be able to tax base when they see the opportunity. And that was a big part of everything that you do. We can get focused on, oh, you ran some great Zoom actions and all this different stuff. But really, your players are really, really effective at taking advantage of advantage. And that was probably the only thing that we spent in early on. And, and even as a staff, we talk about it now in workouts. And we stole this term during COVID off one of the coaches. It might have been off your podcast. It may have been off of Zoom. I'm not sure. But at every moment, the ball needs help or it needs space. And the guys off the ball need to decide. And, and that's part of the decision making. So our guys have gotten really, really good at simply playing off of each other and staying away from the ball and cutting as opposed to, to gravitating towards the ball. And because they're all doing it, it becomes contagious and you stand out if you're not. So uh, obviously, Playmaker's Advantage, a, a favorite book for a lot of us coaches. It's it's finding space, attacking space. And if you can't find any, then find a way to create some space. And so once we were able to, to I guess, uh, relate to our guys what we're trying to accomplish, then they were able to take it from there. And, and they're really smart and they play really well together. And, and you know, probably the intelligence and toughness combination is why we were successful. Absolutely. And uh, shot selection being another part of it. And I know you did a great masterclass in our community on shot selection. So let's just uh, tease it a little bit here in terms of some of the ideas that you share to be able to get your players to play unselfish and then shoot the shots that they can make. Chris, I feel like the first couple of years, that's probably the thing that I did as bad as anything else. And I did. I remember you saying that. <laughs> but I feel like it, it, it had never been a priority for me or the guys I worked for. Uh, it just wasn't that the highest priority, I should say. It was, and so I never thought that much about it. And we always had unselfish point guards that kind of got everyone the ball, got us organized, and did a lot of the coaching on the court. So it had just never been something that that I was focused on. And then I watch our shots in hindsight, and, and I'm almost embarrassed. Now, they played free. They played confident. But we gave a lot of possessions away because we took uh, ill-advised shots, where this year it, it essentially became – uh, a, a conversation where if someone took a bad shot, Chris, you, you took a shot that I feel like it's a bad shot. I didn't tell you it's a bad shot. I'd say, Chris, look at your four, look at the four guys you're playing with. Do you feel like that's the best shot that you five players could generate together? If it is, I'm okay with it. But I know how smart of a player you are, and and I think you'll agree with me that you five, you five can who can all dribble, pass, and shoot, and know how to play. You guys can generate a better shot than that. And if you can't, then we can shoot that one later in the clock after we've we've explored these other things. And, and that was probably received as well as anything. And I've tried everything with shot selection, uh, A shots, C shots, F shots, the uh, collaboration. And, and me personally, I felt like that's the first thing that, that clicked with our guys because they did look around and see four talented players with them and said, you know what, we can get a better one that, than that. It's it's such a great example. Just ask the players. They know good shots and bad shots, uh, you know, and it's it's a simple thing to be able to ask them. You talked about referencing the player that shot it. Do you also ask the players who didn't shoot it whether that was a good shot? It, it, it usually be you guys huddle up. Sometimes, hey, you guys huddle up. You guys talk about it. If, if mm -hmm. that's the best shot you, this group can get, I'm okay with it. I'm not policing every shot we take. I'm more concerned with the, the flow, the offense, us playing well together. I don't care if the shot goes in. And, and we every day in workouts, the guy will miss a shot and he'll hang his head. And we go up to him, clap and high five, and we're, we're not outcome-based. You just play great basketball. All we're trying to play, all we're trying to do is play good ball every possession. And with our with our talent level, that'll be more than enough. We'll make enough shots to win. But let's just chase playing good ball and leave it at that. Again, it reflects modern leadership as well, which I think is something else that many coaches talk to me about as they watched you on the sidelines throughout the tournament. The representation of of this behavior, what do you want to call it, stoic or you know, purposeful or whatever it was, but uh Talk to us a little bit about that and then the personality of you on the sidelines. 
Well, the, the, I think there's a lot of layers to this. Number one, uh, during my informative years, I was I was the the, the smaller Robert Montgomery Knight, Bob Knight, and I tried that, and and I knew that wasn't for me. So it wasn't as if I had to had to have a complete transformation. But then you see Brad Stevens and Tony Bennett at the top of our profession, and those guys are as professional and kind and humble as anyone that you can find. So there's been this, these guys to model, and then at during COVID, when you really try to dive into being a teacher. You just have to take a step back, see more, observe more. You don't have to talk as much. And your podcast and your guests, I think, have given a lot of coaches like myself more confidence that we don't have to be talking all the time. We don't. We can let these guys figure out. We can point them in the right direction. And then we can assist them instead of making every decision for them and thinking for them or whatnot. And so I noticed that we played better. And, but also, Chris, we have a team that plays hard every minute of every day. So I never have to coach effort. And in our teams in the past, there's been guys where we had to coach effort. We had to get them to sprint back on defense. We had to get them to jump to the ball. We had to get them to play with active hands. So when you're coaching those details, I would, you know, it's a lot more fun not having to, but certain teams, those things are more important than whatever else you could be saying. So you have to get good at those. So I think this year I could stand over there with my arms crossed thinking about what I see or what next or how I can help our guys because they're going to play with maximum effort 99% of the time anyway. Coach, a brief interruption from our podcast to tell you about basketballimmersion.com. Why do so many coaches coach like it was 20 years ago? Technology, research, innovation have all expanded our understanding of teaching, coaching, and learning. Change can be hard to accept, but with an open mind and willingness to learn, it is possible. This is what Basketball Immersion has done for so many coaches. Coaches at all levels of basketball from around the world have stimulated their coaching development using the Basketball Immersion membership community. Embrace the change that will impact your players and team beyond anything you can imagine. Join our Basketball Immersion community at basketballimmersion.com. Even with effort, I mean, most of effort comes down to the environment that you create so that they want to put effort into it, right? And now it's easy to say this year because clearly winning helps with effort, doesn't it? But it's yes. also the environment. And I imagine your practice environment is is filled with a lot of playing basketball and a lot of enjoyment from a competitive perspective. It is. And and uh, there was a point this season when we got really late in the year and, and we lost at Middle Tennessee State and they're talented, they're well coached, they're a good team. And we looked a step slow and we played the mount basically is February and we continue to play a lot and get up and down a lot. But we just looked slow to the ball and we weren't quite as quick. But our guys, if if we play three on three, one on one, two on two with any constraints, with any uh, any different rules or objectives, they're going to go as hard as they can possibly go as long as they're competing with with purpose. And so at that point, that next week, I say, guys, I love to play. That's that's what I love to do the most. That's what I love to coach. You guys want to play. But now we have to be smart about this. We have to maintain our, our level of, of conditioning. So we're going to have to do some five on zero just so we maintain the speed of the drills and the speed we play with. But we can't do it this much bone on bone. Let's save ourselves from ourselves. And they weren't happy with me when we weren't playing in practice for two or three days. And finally, <laughs> I, they were badgered. I said, guys, you're not bullying me into playing anymore today. We're done. We're not going any longer. I'm sorry. I want to go longer too. You want to go longer. But this is saving us from ourselves. And I would I would joke with them almost daily. Nope, you're not bullying me any longer. We're not playing more time. We're not adding more points. We're done for the day. We'll pick up tomorrow where we left off today. That's great. Managing their mental load, their physical load, all those things are such a big part of driving improvement throughout a year. And I love that. I'm curious then, as the season went on, was there anything that surprised you 
about having this level of success that maybe you didn't expect? Not really. You know, obviously you become a big game with with uh, the, the TV picture, the television networks pick your games up or you're a, a blue out here or it's a sellout at a place that has great basketball tradition. You just become a big game, but not really. You know, I, I say it all the time when you're in the eye of the storm, it's what's next. And and we would laugh and say, are we really 10 and one in league? Are we really in first place? And then we laugh about it. And the assistant coach would say, yeah, coach, we are. And then we'd move on to the next thing. So I, I, it's it's even the same way with the tournament run. It hasn't sunk in yet because there's always been a next thing. And if you start thinking and dwelling, uh, then, then you're probably going to get caught up. And and I say it now, the most impressive thing was our 20-game winning streak. Our players didn't change an ounce. They stayed exactly the same when it came to work and preparation. They actually had better attention to detail, and they wanted more despite human nature to kind of let off the gas and feel good about yourself. So it's a testament to their guys and how much they love to play and compete. As I said earlier, that's great. And for those of us that have never coached in a final four, what was that experience like? And maybe what was something unexpected? And I'm also curious if playing at Madison square garden in that type of environment, which is so cool, I imagine, did that really help you kind of handle the final four environment even? more even columbus playing in the hockey arena it's it's yeah. like an nba arena it's huge it's you know it's like a coliseum uh, but chris the, the one thing when we went to the final four we were concerned about the dome and the backdrop being so far away and we have a smaller gym we have a, a, a gym that seats three thousand. so the, the the sight lines the depth perception everything's different and so we didn't want to overthink it but we encouraged uh, our staff we encouraged a couple of our volume guys to go shoot on the outdoor courts. And we said, hey, you grew up playing in the park on double rims. If you can shoot outside with the sky in the background with double rims, if you can make shots out there, you're going to be fine in, in a football stadium. And so we did make a big deal about it, but a couple of our guys went outside with assistance and shot outdoors. And those were the guys that shot it really well in the dome. And I actually asked Brad Stevens, I said, hey, I don't want to overthink this because he was saying, basically, do what you've done at this point. Don't change. You're going to be tempted to do you know, this or that. And I said, what about this? Here's my thought. And he said, man, I'd, I'd be hesitant to change what you're doing. But uh, he had a player on, on one of his teams named AJ Graves from my county. And we had a, a, a game in a big arena like that. And he said, coach, I'm fine. I, I grew up shooting outdoors in Green County. This this gym's not going to phase me. And he said, so based on what he said and what you're saying now, it might not be a bad idea. Just I wouldn't make a, a huge deal out of it. So I thought that, you know, in hindsight, we would probably do that in the future. Go shoot outside. Uh, but the garden didn't feel like an NBA arena. It just feels like a historical, almost like a museum uh, with so much history. It was just different. Yeah, no doubt. And that's such a cool story there to be able to shoot outside and to just relate it to that, that you've done this. It's not like this is a new experience uh, with no backdrop. So that's very cool. And then um, did you find there was a difference in play between the postseason and the regular season? Example, slower pace or more half-court execution? Um, you know, w- once you get into the power fives, they're just bigger at every position and they're not quite as, as, as maybe fast or shifty with the ball. And yeah, it, it's just different because our league is a little smaller. It's more athletic, but also the top teams in our league, UAB was like Tennessee, North Texas was physical, uh, like Kansas state or, or these other teams. So we always had someone that had prepared us for these moments, but the style of play wasn't much different. It was, it was, you know, a, a half the nights in our league, we have the, the power five officials, usually the veteran officials, they let you play with a little more physicality and the younger guys that are, that are 
they're coming up in the profession. They call it more uh, by the book. So it was it was more like our Thursday night games in league, where it was physical. Uh, you, you knew what you could get away with and what you couldn't, and you just had to adjust. So the other part that I've heard from other coaches as you progress through a tournament like this or these situations is suddenly you have more time to prepare for an opponent for that first game. And did that present any challenges in the sense that you almost are overdoing it or over preparing? And you mentioned about the Brad Stevens thing about sticking with what you do. And that's got to be a challenge. Well, fortunately for us, Conference USA was Thursday, Saturday all year. And so it's almost exact same preparation format. Uh, the only difference is obviously on Saturday, you haven't played that team before or for half of the season. We've already, we're already familiar with personnel. So for us, we felt like it lined up because this is our normal routine. We can do something very similar on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then play the game on Thursday. And, and then we had a good idea of how much we could do on Friday and still be quick to the ball and, and fresh on Saturday. Are you putting new things in during the tournament? Are you putting in like a, an inbound, different inbound or a different special play? Are you doing that at that point or are you just going with what you have? Our our, our uh, internal philosophy is, is more or less we have to do something three days for our guys to be able to execute it and run into the game. So we had some things that we had introduced that maybe we'd put it in, but we hadn't ran into the game or we said, we'll use this in, in, in an, as an ATO and we'll use the introduced stuff. Hey, right now, you don't need to remember the name of this. You don't need to remember the family or the formation. Just know that we could run this out of the ATO and here's what we're looking for and here's the spacing of it. And so we would we would continue to work on those things until it became and all right, we've done it two or three times. All right, now we're going to give it a name and now we're going to be now we're going to remember. So, yes, we are adding just a little bit or a counter based on, OK, every team that this play has been working for us. Here's how this team defended it to stop it. We're going to see that again. So now let's let's be creative with a counter for it. So. It's usually counters to what we something in our regular playbook, and and that those are the things that we would add throughout the tournament. That's such great advice. That three day philosophy. And is there anything that, in retrospect, and I know you haven't had a lot of time to digest it, but in retrospect, you would have done differently? Yeah, the 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 night before the game, the two days prior to the games, everyone that we know, and my wife handled all the tickets. I didn't even know that my family was at the games. I didn't know friends from college, from high school. I had no idea that I probably had a 500 person travel party and I probably knew five or six because I randomly bumped into them just because I, I didn't want to be distracted. But there's so much going on. And this is something Bill Self had said that maybe try to isolate your guys other than an hour or an hour and a half a day where they go with their family for an hour and a half. And then the other times we were back to our normal road trip routine. We gave our guys a lot of freedom. And I actually met with a couple of them today as they're passing through and just asked them, would they do anything personally different? than what they did. And they said maybe a little bit, but they just felt like uh, there were so many distractions. They just weren't quite as locked in because we were so far out of our routine for the final four, especially being a Saturday, Monday, we had more prep time. Um, but I probably thought more about it than they did uh, because I do think when it's time to work, they work. And we've never really been, uh, you know, we, we talk about a lot, you know, what, what you know is what you think about often. So I want you guys thinking about this stuff, but you're not going to be consumed with it. We were down in the, in the lounge playing cornhole. The guys were playing video games. We were playing ping pong. We did that a lot the week we were in Houston, just to, just to continue doing what we were doing without overthinking the game, because for 40 minutes, we didn't want those guys thinking about the football stadium or that this is Jim dance and raft recalling your game or whatever the case it's, it comes down to just hoops for 40 minutes. It absolutely does. But what a cool experience, nevertheless. And, uh, you know, I know there's so many coaches uh, that just want to know 
how they can do the same thing. How can they replicate this? So, you know, give us some ideas. What are what are some practical things through your experience at FAU that led to this that coaches can focus on? Maybe some of the things that you think are best practices. As far as the the macro or micro, the, the days leading Whatever up to you want. Like, what can I now take away and build my under 11 girls program to this level based on what Dusty says or high school well, or college, whatever it may be? You know, we, we've recruited guys that um, have a strong desire to improve. I mean, that, that that's first and foremost. And, and How do you assess that? Um, well, we, we feel like that's something that we do really, really well, that we never put them in compromising positions. We, we never uh, reward the, the outcome. It's the process that leads to it. And then that process word is, is overused, but we're not outcome based. And every single day we could lose by 30. And when the players walk in the next morning, it's about getting better and learning from what happened and why we lost. Or if we win by 20, let's learn why we won by 20. And so we never changed. And usually when the new guys come into our program and we lose a game, then they're shocked at how we're, we're just the, exactly the same as we were when we won the game or, or whatever the case, there's no difference. And, and as long as you're trying to get better throughout our program, you're in good standing. You could, you could go over 15. As long as you came in the next day with a great attitude, ready to work, then it, everything's forgotten. We're not, it's going to happen. It's part of it. So I think really not being tied to winning and losing and, and we're in a job where there's not great pressure. So if, if this was a job where we were expected to win 28 games every year, we probably wouldn't have been able to grow through this process and do it the way we've done it because we were never worried about expectations and all that stuff because expectations were so low. Once we hit 10 wins, we were right on par with what FAU had always been. So we could just be us, we could learn, we could grow and not have a fear of making so many mistakes. But I think going forward, even if I had, it was at a job where there's great pressure, and now there's gonna be great pressure here with the, the resources we're getting now and, and, and the expectations. I don't think that's going to change us because we're never afraid to fail. We're never afraid of the expectations. As long as we're trying, we're working like crazy every day to get better and we're being intentional and we're thinking ahead, then we feel like we're just, we're going to find a way to figure it out and get it done. And if not, then, you know, we, we keep searching, we keep hunting for it. So staying consistent, uh, focusing on the process. Um, what about some other things in terms of just from the day-to-day -day, uh, focusing on how to help your players continue to improve? Well, we ask them what they like, what they don't like, what they see, what they don't see, how they feel. Does this feel like a game? Does it not feel like a game? Does this feel like a drill or does this feel like a game? And we're always evaluating what's worked and what hasn't. We we cut and add a lot and just based on what we see. And, and there'll be even certain things. We'll add a move to a guy's game that we think, hey, man, this could be a great counter and we'll spend a month on it in the summer. And now as we're doing our autopsy of the season, man, we spent a lot of hours and he used that move one time in 30 games, like whatever we're going to spend time on that. Those are the things that we need to see carry over. So we're always evaluating what we're spending time on and it, are we getting carry over in the games? And if we're not, then we need to, to do something different or stress it more. Uh, but I think we're always looking for a better way. We're always changing and evolving. And sometimes uh, I'll tell the guys, Hey, I want to look at this. I don't know. I just feel like this could be really good for us. Just bear with me for a day or two. I want to see how it looks on film. I want to see if you guys pick it up quickly. And after two days, I may say, guys, I was way off. That's terrible. I, I, you know, that's just not for us. We're going to continue to do this instead. And, and usually I think because they know we're studying it, we're trying to find a better way at all times. And they just kind of roll with it. Like, yeah, you're right, coach. I didn't like that either. Or you sure coach. I think that'd be good for us. Let's, let's give it one more day, things like that. So 
I think people would be shocked at how much input our players have in our program and how much I, I value their feedback. Well, I'm not shocked, but uh, I am I am curious because I know this is the challenge for coaches in that type of environment is how do you create the environment or the psychological safety for your players to be able to communicate openly with you? That doesn't just happen right away, obviously. It's got to be built through time. But what are some of the strategies that have helped your players be able to communicate openly with you? The first and foremost, you can be wrong. And the, we've gotten better at asking questions. And the Doug Limoff, if, when a guy makes a mistake, I'm so happy that happened right now. This is his quote. Like, the, unbelievable you did that right now because there's no way you're going to forget the double team in the game. Or, and that happens daily. But we ask a question, it's okay to be wrong and, and, and answer whatever comes to your mind because it's not wrong. And as long as, as you think you might be called on, then someone else is thinking about the answer. And and to be honest, Chris, we, we finished uh, the game against, and, and this is a great, and I don't know how it gets to this point, but we played Tennessee and we had watched part of Kansas State versus Michigan State. We always want to go there early in the NCAA to get a feel for the environment and just get comfortable. And we're watching the game. So our players had watched almost half of Kansas State. We get done with the Tennessee game. We go straight back to the hotel to do the, the, the start the prep work. The guys have their food. They're eating. Okay, let's lock in on Kansas State. All right, fellas, before we get started, I want you guys thinking about what you just saw. You watched them play half of a game. All right, Chris, what'd you see? Bang. Uh, BJ, what'd you see? Bang. Mike, what'd you see? Bang. And after five or six guys, I, I whispered to one of our assistants. I said, man, these guys may not need us anymore. It was it was <laughs> incredible. But they bought into watching the game. They they go to a heat game and say, man, coach, I can't watch that team play anymore. They're, they're not sharing the ball. They're driving bad spacing, those types of things. So, our group, because of their 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 drive to be successful, their drive to learn, um, I don't know if it's the 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 chicken or the egg. I really don't, but I know that these guys every single day they're engaged and and they're processing. And even when they're wrong, it's okay. And I tell them the same thing: Hey, I'm going to make mis- more mistakes than everybody in the locker room because I have more decisions to make. And I'm going to be wrong, but I'm going to fight like hell to be right the next time. That's such a great perspective, and w- and what a fun experience to be around a team that again. The goal is independent learners, independent performers. So to get them to that point and to kind of understand that at that point, that's got to be so special for you. 100%, especially the biggest game, we're going to the Elite Eight. And these guys nailed what our staff felt like was the five or six most important things going into that game. They already knew them before. And so now they're watching the film simply reinforcing what they already knew. And they're speaking your language and they're communicating the way you would communicate. Uh, It's just got to be a magical, magical experience all the way through. You referenced expectations. So let's say everyone's back and here we go again, FAU. Expectations are final four, of course. Um, (laughs) Further, national championship. (laughs) There you go, national championship. Let's go. Um, So have you started to dive into some of that about dealing with this level of expectation in terms of your readings, your podcast, your talking to other people? By the way, awesome that you've already listened to Doug's podcast. Um, You know, every coach should be mandatory to listen to this podcast the day it releases, right? 100%. And and, uh, he's at a conference in Miami and and I'm going to be fortunate to go down. And you asked what what was the coolest thing about the Final Four. It's, It's the amount of people that you're that you have access to now to learn from. And because you're, you're on this, this scale, this scope of, of you know, the, that setting uh, you have access to people that can really help you. And that's probably the coolest part for me that, that we've had some doors open up to really cool uh, people, basketball coaches, knowledgeable people that we're going to be able to, to use as resources now. So that's probably the best thing that's happened 
uh, throughout this run. But what was the question again, Chris? I'm sorry, I went on the team. Just about expectations now. Have you started to dive into some different strategies, some different ways to be able to manage the expectations of a team that, again, we're all enamored with and we're excited to watch play again? Well, we've, as a staff, we've started talking about it and thinking about it. We haven't started with our messaging with our guys yet because we're not sure and every team is different. We've got to be able to anticipate what our guys are thinking, how they're feeling, and then apply whatever message we think is best for that team in that moment. So we do, you know, and one of our players, this was my, this was going to be one of my messages. And I heard one of our players say it the other day that next year's team is not uh, a final four team. Next year's team is zero and zero. We, we don't have a target on our back. We don't have anything. We've got to, we've got to figure out a way for us to be the best we can be. And we're all zero and zero. So that's probably going to be part of it that, Last year's team was last year's team, but this year's team is this year's team. And how we carry ourselves, how humble we stay, how we work will will determine our success, not last year's uh, season or expectations. Dusty, I know with everything going on, it was hard for you to uh, find an hour for your favorite podcast, but uh, I'm so appreciative for you. And I know our audience will really enjoy this and hearing a little bit about the whole experience and then where it goes from here. Thank you for sharing the game with us. Chris, there's no way we would have been playing in the Final Four without what our staff and players and everyone in our program has learned from you and the platform that you've created. I can't thank you enough. Your questions, your podcasts, your your videos, uh, it, it's it's been invaluable for us. Coach, I can't wait to get you back to the basketball podcast, but I wanted to take a brief moment to tell you about ImmersionVideos.com. Have you checked out ImmersionVideos.com? Watch an ADOTS practice and see how he has Alabama ranked in the top five nationally or get access to our new release featuring nine all-access practices from Alex Rama, or other products from Tobin Anderson, Doug Novak, Dave Smart, Scott Morrison, Aaron Fern, Mark Cassio, Francisco Nanny, and more. ImmersionVideos.com was created to provide value to coaches like you who are looking to stimulate their professional development by offering unique all-access tools necessary for you to be an outstanding coach who values learning and seeks to evolve. Go to ImmersionVideos.com and check it out today. Thanks for listening. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and to give the Basketball Podcast and this week's guest a shout out on social media to show your support for us sharing the game. And to stay up to date on all things Basketball Immersion, subscribe to our newsletter at basketballimmersion.com newsletter. Mm-hmm.